0: today on Owl Have You Know.
1: We're serially opportunistic, which means that we face opportunity with a very open mind. It is a constant reassessment almost on a daily basis. And we try to find the things that are needed in society
0: that consumers are demanding. Welcome back to Owl Have You Know, I'm your host, David Drew Rice Business, class of 2012. Man, time is flying. On the line here, we have Will Robertson. Will is a Rice Business class of 2005. He's also the managing member of Quintana Infrastructure and Development and a panoply of board involvement. So he serves on the board of Tanawa Resource Holdings, the board of the Spirit Golf Association, as well as the Henderson Western Tour Foundation. God, that's a lot of syllables. <laughs> well, thanks for joining us today. <laughs> well, David, David, thanks for having me. I, I do want to interrupt the
1: program out of the shoot and just say that uh, I'll have you know that uh, when Tim Okabayashi called me, uh, he was a classmate of mine. The little secret about Tim is uh, he was the finest lacrosse player across the state of Texas in 1995.
0: So I just wanted to insert that really quickly about our friend Tim. I don't know a lot of lacrosse player. I mean, how, how steep or deep is the competition in the lacrosse domain in Texas in the mid nineties? Uh we, we don't we don't need to get into details, but uh,
1: <laughs> the, uh the the stats are out there to find. Uh, you could fact you could fact check me all day long, but uh I, I will stand behind what I said. <laughs> I just need something to give Tim
0: a hard time with, that's all. <laughs> well, totally looking for ammo. here. Uh, That's fantastic. No, thanks for getting ahead of the the I'll have you know. I mean, the idea is to, you know, really share the most about the experience of of the alumni after graduation and, you know, try to get those pearls of wisdom or little known factoids. So thank you for putting that front and center right off the rip. And so, uh, Will, just a Just to give us a little color on who you are and how you've gotten to where you are today, would you care to give us a a brief harbor cruise on your backgrounds, maybe where you're from, uh, the focus areas in your career, why you went to Rice, and what you are really focused on today?
1: You you bet. Uh, I was born and raised in Houston, went to the University of Texas up in Austin, Uh, worked at Merrill Lynch for uh, two years doing investment banking within the Energy and Power uh, practice. Uh, then spent two years with the Cap Street Group here in Houston. They're a generalist private equity fund uh, with a wonderful uh, team. And then from 2003 to 05 is when I came back to Rice uh, to do uh, my MBA program. And, uh, you know, for me, I, I felt long-term I wanted to stay in Houston and going to uh, a first-class private university with uh, a long-standing but emerging MBA program was uh, really important to me because I knew I could stick with it and help uh, shape it and uh, obviously watch it grow and become a better program. Um, But after business school, I joined Quintana Minerals Corporation, which is uh, essentially our family's administration entity. And we mostly, you know, through that have been a family office investing into a variety of industries. I spent uh, from 05 until about 2010 working for... Uh, Quintana Energy Partners, which was a private equity institutional fund. Uh, and really since 2011, uh, I separated out to uh, work for myself, uh, building a, a, my own platform, so to speak, with a few partners. And so since that time, Quintana Infrastructure Development has been really a fundless uh, deal-by-deal investment group, um, You know, investing in a variety of things, mostly tied to energy and power. But uh, here in the last several years, increasingly expanding into other
0: uh, infrastructure, you know, categories. Thank you for that. That's uh that's a that's a lot of resume bullets. <laughs> and so <laughs> and then on top of all that, it, you're doing a lot of volunteer work and again, serving on multiple boards here. And so I, I think a bit later, I want to get into how you strategize and divest out your your efforts and and your energy. Um but for for today in in your current role with Quintana, how do you define success and how do you structure your efforts? And I mean, what does that look like for you when you go about, as you're saying, looking you know, deal by deal investments?
1: Sure, we we it's a balancing act on you know obviously servicing and fiduciary uh, stewardship for the partnerships that we manage. Uh, so Tanawa uh, is one currently that we're still. Uh, working on. Um, it's a gas processing business that's got a helium extraction unit. And so that's the first and primary focus each day when I wake up. Our, our team is always on the prowl for new opportunities and we don't have a dependable capital base. And so we have to be very judicious about how we focus on new things to do. Um, and it's a constant uh, you know, outreach for our network as far as finding, you know, investment opportunities and then uh, doing the proper due diligence, and and then ultimately rounding up family offices and institutions to come along our side to make the investment. So uh, it, it requires a constant focus on what matters the most and, uh, and and focusing on the key elements, whether the people side and who we want to partner with or uh, the, the business plan strategies that we think are sound or not. And we often toil with, uh, you know, venture stage or development stage situations that, you know, require a lot of heavy lift as far as getting the right uh, permits and commercial support. And that's where we find kind of our strike zone is there's many uh, funds out there that focus on existing businesses. And quite frankly, you know, uh, the the, the asset valuations for things like that can get out of hand as far as uh, the way we were trying to make an investment return. And so we, it's just a balancing act of, of caring for what we've got and doing the right job. For those things, along with finding new
0: opportunities
1: to strike out upon,
0: and in terms of those the investments, and how has that evolved over the years? I'm I'm trying to figure out the the time frame here for uh, what you're referencing at Quintana. Um, you said 2011 working for yourselves, and eventually joining with Quintana. And so, how has that evolved o- over time? I'm sure your your portfolio mix is. Is zigging and zagging, and you know, depending on the success, you know, of those equity investments, your strategy might shift. It seems like a very complex sort of calculus to do there. So, can you help us understand, you know, how that evolves and matures over time, and what that go forward looks like? I mean,
1: we're we're serially opportunistic, which means that we face opportunity with a very open mind, and uh, you know, as you could imagine, energy, oil and gas activities have really been in a series of downdrafts since starting in 2015. So within energy, we've been fairly patient and not trying to get too aggressive on what to do and how to do it. Several years ago, we had an opportunity to participate in what's called the E-Rate Program uh, amongst the federal government and how they help subsidize building fiber for educational purposes. And so it really casted our eye uh, onto you know, other parallel industries, such as data and tech infrastructure. And we see parallels with how assets can come to be as far as commercial support and location is, is important. And so we are routinely, um, we, we pivot to the things that we think are most attractive and quite honestly, we try to find the ones that have tailwinds of support, uh, relative to the headwinds that, you know, some of the energy cyclicality, uh, presents itself. So it is a constant uh, reassessment almost on a daily basis for what priorities that we should have and we again we try to find you know the things that are needed in society that you know consumers are demanding so for examples of this uh, we made a a structured investment into a data center platform in the southeast that's uh, essentially concentrating on secondary markets for edge type data centers we are really working hard to close a fiber to the home opportunity in the outer skirts of Toronto, uh, here in the next, uh, you know, a few days or a week or so. Um, so we find, you know, opportunities, uh, of different types all the time. And we
0: try to select the ones that we think, uh, we can be most effective with. I have a lot there. I mean, you, you you operate in so many different domains. You obviously have the focus in oil and gas, and then you mentioned education tech and uh, data centers, that's near and dear to my heart because I'm working for Splunk. So that's all, you know, all things data. And so as I think about sort of putting your hat on and doing the market research, I mean, what is that? There's maybe two ways to ask this is what does a good day look like, you know, for Will Robertson, as you're doing the due diligence and the market research. And then secondly, how deep do you go into Getting well versed in all these various industries, which I'm assuming you're, you're not an expert necessarily in, you know what building fiber for education <laughs> looks like. You may talk to experts. So, how do you bone up on those various industries so you can make a well-informed decision? And then, how far along do you go in that spectrum from, you know, how do you spell fiber to, you know, here's, you know, how you build all this stuff?
1: I think most everything that we Focus on it all starts with the people. You know most of the ideas that come to us are from experts in their domain. And if there's a fit for the character and the value system of the entrepreneur, we hopefully rely upon their expertise. number one. Number two, you know the, the access to information uh, is incredible these days, along with the ability to find uh, you know consultants and uh, subject matter experts that you know if there's a topic we don't know about, we feel fairly comfortable in our network ability to get to the root cause or root matter uh, needing uh, to, to, to de-risk that element. So it's a balancing act of uh, letting the people that we're engaging with convince us of their expertise and of their ability to be honest and straightforward decision makers, uh, along with our own internal due diligence, relying upon what information that we can get uh, directly, and uh, also making lots of phone calls and lots of uh, outreach to various uh, friends of ours, whether new or
0: uh, you know, longstanding, to assess the opportunities. Interesting. Yeah, I'm hearing just a lot of resourcefulness and and getting the right folks and expertise and consultants. That in and of itself is a heavy lift. Just, hey, can I trust you and your expertise? And you know, can I believe what you're? Uh, what you're talking about there, you know what you're pitching, so uh fascinating um, I'm also thinking as you're having these conversations and and folks are essentially kind of pitching you know to your team, I mean where you know the capital lies, the competitive space, can you talk a little bit about you know what your competitors look like are are there other folks that you know as they shop around they're considering your firm or others? how do you differentiate yourself and what do you consider the competition? What does that look like, whether direct or indirect?
1: Sure. I mean, the market for investing capital is quite efficient, really across the economy. I mean, there's obviously venture capital funds everywhere. There's private equity funds everywhere. There's also the strategic uh, industry incumbents that are competitive. So it's not easy to differentiate uh, very often. But We try to uh, obviously present market-based terms to the counterparties that we deal with, and very often it does come down just whether it's a personality fit and how we are are sort of a a value system aligned in our understanding of the business thesis at hand. And then most groups like myself, uh, they try to be value-added investors, and so when in all three of uh, the partners on my team, we all have you know operating company experience, which means that we absolutely know that creating cash flow, revenue, and expenses, it's not easy every month. Okay, so we have have a deep appreciation for what goes into you know business formation and earnings, and you know creating sales and managing costs, and those operational disciplines. You know, I think that is a differentiator that we can really appreciate what people are saying and the hard work that goes into the daily activities, um, and and that's where we try to be value added in giving the mentorship or advice that we uh, we can do for the the people and the companies that we align with.
0: Yeah, the mentorship piece is is key. As I talk to folks in my orbit that are in a similar space or have you know, in private equity or venture capital, there's always that. Healthy tension of the folks that are providing the capital and the mentorship and the insight and guidance, and how far entrenched do they get into the, the business? Um, whether it's you know on the operational management side, or is it you know a once in a blue moon executive meeting? It, you know, like where does Quintana lie in that spectrum, and is that on a sort of per? you know investment basis what what does that look like and how do you determine where you land in that spectrum of involvement
1: well david you you you're, you have some great questions uh so we we really because we range from you know venture development stage to acquisition it really is fact dependent upon how sophisticated the team is and where on the on the cycle that we choose to to enter so you know, a business called Great Northern Midstream was an idea that we formed ourselves. And so we literally built the organization out our, uh, from from myself and one other colleague into a, a few hundred uh, people up in North Dakota. And so that was a very immersive experience for our, our team. Uh, but on the contrary, uh, in fact, one of our Rice fellow alumni, uh, Jay Helms, he ran a business called Frontier Utilities for us. In that case, Jay was a, a wonderful manager and had a good team. It was my role in that and QID's role in that was really just to service and steward the board level, letting Jay and the team run everything very uh self-dependently. So that you're absolutely correct that uh you know our involvement will just vary depending upon the needs of the idea and the maturation of the team in place.
0: Interesting. Yeah, I just I, I just in my mind, your everyday is Never the same, right? It's just like a constant, you know, sort of creative and, you know, flexing exercise, <laughs> you know, uh, as these businesses grow and, and how you provide your help and, and mentorship and, and management. So fascinating. Well, yeah, you know, when, when when I was a
1: kid, the, the expression is if you're not, you know, moving, you're killing grass. And so, I mean, that's part of life. And that, I mean, really going back to the Rice MBA program, the mentality uh, as a smaller school, was that the rigor of the curriculum was high but intentionally high so that the students really f- are forced to work hard but at the same time in all the team based activities the work hard inevitably leads to play hard in those 2 years of the full time program was just a great you know uh, educational bath in balancing you know work hard play hard focus on the important things and obviously enjoy it in that moment and you know i think this last year for me you know, we, we all chase the success, we chase the goals, we chase the ends of our activity set. And I think this past, you know, COVID environment really has compelled us to focus on, you know, the things that matter most, our family, our friends, uh, obviously it's been just a tremendous challenge for everybody. And I, I work in small mi- middle sized businesses and it's just a really tough environment. Um, but the point I'm making is, you know, you have to be reminded that, um, you know, being in the moment and enjoying the means or the
0: activities is really what life's about. Well said. And and I definitely want to unpack a little bit more on that and the the, the volunteer side of things we'll get to in, in a moment. But uh, you picked the thought right off the top of my brain on the COVID side. And it's, you know, it's mid December now, and we're wrapping up 2020. And I love your call out and hey, this is what actually matters most. I think this year has been the if there ever was an excuse to maybe take a breather from business and focus on family and friends, this has been the year. (laughs) And so, and then to your point with working with small and mid-sized businesses here in central Dallas, where I am, every other business just down the road has been shuttered up from my view in March and April. And it's just really sad to see. And so in terms of your changing directions, from the beginning of this year and and I imagine that you had a plan for 2020 and then, you know, March hit and then everything went belly up. It's kind of like Mike Tyson says that everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. And so, (laughs) so how, how did your plan, you know, sort of what is that Delta from the plan to reality, you know, as you started in January and now that you're wrapping up in December, can you give us idea of the zigging and zagging that has happened, you know, largely due to the, to the pandemic.
1: Sure. I mean, my, my wife, Laura refers to it as almost like a great pause where everything had to come to a stop and, uh, you know, I, I it's hard to make assessment of it all, but, uh, you know, I sort of try to handle the year by saying, look, this is going to be really hard. We have to learn to communicate and work as a team in a totally different manner than being face to face. And with energy, it's sort of the double effect of uh, the, the OPEC plus, you know, market share uh, fight, dropping crude oil to record lows, um, along with the pandemic. Uh, and so it, it's just been, you know, no one's going to hear you complain about it. So you have to just, you know, pick up your boots and fight through the challenges. And we're still in them, quite frankly. Um, but you got to do your best you can. And um, you know, the pieces will fall and you got to pick them up and, and put them back together, so to speak.
0: I, I wanted to go back to your comments around the, the downturn in oil and gas in 2015. And as that proceeds forward, and I'm myself, I'm not uh, deep in that industry. I'm I'm in big tech, essentially, but, but I would be remiss to not, you know, call that out, uh, just because a lot of the folks at Rice or in Houston are, are in that space. And so I wanted to ask how much of your business and business success and your portfolio success is contingent on the macroeconomics of oil and gas and energy
1: for qid itself it's been mostly affected by the uh, the the margin deterioration with the revenue being tied to in our case propane butane and natural gasoline relative to natural gas as a cost of goods sold so absolutely we've been affected like many others Um, now As we assess that, um, you know, look, the world is facing a very uh, fascinating time with respect to how it wants to draw its energy and what resources to pull it from. And uh, to to consider the macro view, I mean, what a wonderful time to be a consumer with all the choices available now between distributed generation, between solar and wind options, uh, of course, the fossil fuel industry. And so it's just a great moment in time uh, it, it's of course challenging to be in the oil and gas theater, but uh, if you're one that wants to focus on the various new technologies or new what they call energy transition, it's a re- really exciting time to be, uh, you know, entering the, the business and/or capitalizing projects. And I think you know, looking forward, um, you know, there's so much talk really starting in Asia a couple of years ago, and then also in the EU last year, and now finally the U.S. is is really getting focused on the hydrogen economy which has been probably a five decade thought, but it seems like there's getting more legs to it. Uh, hydrogen essentially is a very dense, uh, dense energy form, but without the carbon. And so with all the ESG uh, interest in decarbonizing the economy, uh, of course, hydrogen is going to be a key factor in that, along with carbon capture and uh, living in Houston and coming from the fossil industry, you know these are still ways that our city and our workforce here can can try to take advantage of the pivoting that's
0: happening amongst society for their energy needs gosh there's so much there i was listening to elon musk on uh, wall street journal i think it was last night he was being interviewed and and i think he's what right next to jeff bezos in terms of the richest folks in the world so it seems like he has an ability to to look around the corner in terms of you know where things are going obviously you know with with Tesla there's a lot of impact there and and I love how you called out hydrogen and decarbonization and carbon capture again you know I'm pretty lump in when it comes to hey what's going on in the federal space or regulatory space in terms of these topics and the transitions that you're talking about how much of that do you research or as part of your due diligence, and I'm kind of asking kind of rhetorically, um, what, what does that look like for you You know, in terms of like a framework for research and due diligence and, and trying to peek around the corner from a you know, regulatory perspective?
1: Uh, well, sure, I mean, in each vertical as we call them, whether it's energy and power or data tech or industrial environmental, each vertical faces their own constraints as far as the regulatory backdrop. So you may know that the FCC uh, just awarded, I think it's like uh, nine hundred million dollars per year for ten years. So Elon Musk's uh, SpaceX received uh, three hundred million dollars of subsidies to go into the rural uh, broadband fiber initiative that the federal government is kicking off. Um, and and so there's a lot of other smaller companies and middle-sized companies that are also going to get grants. And so we are paying uh, particular attention to that area because. You know, there's 30 million people in the U.S. that do not have you know, broadband access. And even worse, around the world, it's even worse than that. Um, so these, these regulatory activities we do pay attention to very closely. And we tactically try to assess how we can work with that uh, within energy and power. You know, absolutely, the city of Houston's concerned that you know, Biden might uh, want to regulate uh, fracking, for example. Um, now, th- those are things that we can't assess quite yet, but the reality is uh, we need all forms of energy. And yet my fundamental view is that I kind of want the market to decide what the lowest cost solutions are for providing that energy and power for the consumer's needs. And if consumers want carbon-free, there's ways to get them carbon-free. And and, and we as a society and the markets should address that, I think, in the least cost uh, options that we can. So it, it, it you know, you're right. We we do assess the political theater, the regulatory theater, and um, it, it's it's a fascinating time to be investing really across the economy, given all the changes
0: happening. I'd heard Elon talk about what you had just mentioned with the FCC and the incentives for the fiber initiative, and so it's it's quite fortuitous. We're talking about that right now. Um, there was a conversation around how to price in carbon so you t- when you talk about the market deciding you know what's the the lowest cost option um it, there has to be consideration shouldn't there and, and forgive me if I'm being obtuse um for pricing in negative externalities such you know namely carbon uh, which is on the docket here so is that even possible to do such that you know the free market air quotes free market can decide on what that lowest cost option is.
1: Well, uh, I mean, I think the, the way that it seems like the industry is getting support is a carbon tax, which is a way to just say, here's the value or the, the requirement for a cost if you're going to emit carbon or your energy inputs across whatever consumer goods that you're creating. So how that price will be set is going to be fascinating. And there is already, um, within the federal government here in the U.S., there's already a, a, essentially a, a tax credit for sequestering carbon. Um, but the, the rules of engagement have not necessarily been clarified where the industry can really uh, take the, the, the tax credit and try to roll it forward into uh, infrastructure projects. So I'm, I'm not, I can't opine exactly how the feds are going to come down on what the, the, the tax should look like, nor do I know necessarily if the, the carbon tax will be the most effective means of doing it. But because it would be essentially a, a tax burden across all of the consumers, whether they're making widgets or uh, providing, you know, fuels for road transport or electricity, uh, it is one way that, uh, you know, can can blanket uh and compel people to either pay the tax or if they're conducting businesses that are carbon free then they get the the benefit of uh providing credits against that
0: Hmm. fascinating topic that could go way deep into the the rabbit hole so i appreciate your definitely handling that one um last sort of business centric one and then um we can talk about, you know, maybe more on the, the, you know, the board side, the volunteer side, um, is there, you know, in terms of a successful investment that you're, you know, the most proud of, is there a story there that you'd, you'd like to share, um, that, that might be a highlight reel moment in, you know, QIDs, you know, saga, ongoing saga that you'd like to share?
1: Well, uh, the the most local is probably uh, a business that we bought uh, with a partner, uh, Jay Helms, a a Rice grad himself, uh, called Frontier Utilities. It's here, uh, a Texas retail energy provider, which is essentially buying wholesale power and reselling it to uh, retail customers. And uh, we were really happy that we bought the business in uh, 2012 with uh, 8,500 customers. In about seven years, we had built up over 120,000 customers, and, uh, and and we're fortunate to sell the business to an affiliate of Nextera. Uh, so we we you know, had a workforce of around 80 people. So we very much expanded deployment um, and and had a very dedicated team of people. We internalized the call center uh, mostly here in Houston, but did outsource some to uh, other jurisdictions. But uh it, it was a lot of pride to work with uh another rice m b a you know person and to start something small and grow it and then successfully exit for ourselves and our partners so you know we we do have bumps and bruises along the way but uh but who wants to hear about that stuff well, I was taught that wisdom is accumulation of scar tissue, and I assure you i've got I've
0: got a lot of scar tissue doing what we 're doing I can understand or appreciate that well to to maybe land on the last one or two. Topics here, um, the the boards that you serve on. Maybe if you wanted to to zone in on one, and and maybe the the higher level question is, you know, how do you decide to uh, spend your time on which boards, and then what is you know that governance look like for you as a member of those boards?
1: Sure. Well, I, yeah. So for me, the Spirit Golf Association uh, is a five hundred one c three. That provides access to Whispering Pines Golf Club, which which is truly uh, owned by my father. So there is a family connection to that. But the uh, the Spirit Golf Association really uh, is is there's three mission statements: one, access to the golf course; two, is to conduct the Spirit International Golf Championship, which is a, a an amateur event that we hold every other year. And uh, it, it really, really pleased that uh, for now 20 years we've uh, really hatched tons of alumni that have gone on to be professional golfers on both the PGA and more importantly, the LPGA tours. So my father had a vision uh, to essentially do an amateur event Um, back in 2001 was the first one of bringing uh, young men and women together in a joint tournament uh, amongst 24 different countries. And uh, it's just been a really, really fun uh, project for the SGA to sustain that tournament. And the third part of the mission is to give money to charity, uh, mostly concentrating on healthcare causes, which has been really a multi-generational uh, focus of my family. Um, and so yes, it's a, it's a, it's a great golf course that my father built, but more importantly, it's, it's really a nexus of the things that he is passionate for, which is amateur sports, healthcare needs, and having, uh, a tournament that reaches, you know, every continent on the, in the world. And trying to bring people together to, to really um, forge relationships that you know can stand the test of time. Um, we had ten of the alumni of the on the guys' side and ten come back from the girls' side last year, and you'd be amazed at the the bonding that uh, those players had as young people and have sustained throughout their career. And we're not we can't measure exactly the impact that we had, but when you bring people together from around the world, it really is a fun uh, experience. And, you know, to boot, raising money for healthcare causes is really, really rewarding. Um, so that's the Spirit Golf Association. It, it is a family connection, but, uh, you know, watching my father and, and, and trying to carry the torch perhaps going into the future, um, you know, that's something that we're really, really proud of is that tournament and trying to give money to charity.
0: Well, the last two quick ones I have for you and and, uh, we'll adjourn here. Um, I always love to do the LinkedIn stalking and uh, it's interesting to see what people write. And maybe they forget about it, you know, like years later, but I couldn't help but noticing uh, you wrote down jack of all trades in the outdoors, master of none. (laughs) What does that mean? Uh, uh,
1: Well, look, I I love uh, I mean, when I'm not working um, enough, if I have free time, I love it being outside, whether it's, you know, hiking the trail or, you know, playing sports with the kids, uh, fishing, hunting, um, you know, I like all things outdoors. So if I have
0: a, a chance to get out, that's what I want to be doing. And then offline, you had also mentioned a, a venture around the corner. I'm not sure if you're still open to sharing that uh, in the, the mobile application space. Is that uh, something you want to do a, a slight reveal on right now? Sure. I, uh, I'll have you know that
1: uh, I've launched a mobile game uh, called Ultimate Golf. And um, it's really the, the, the ambition is to really provide entertainment uh, through a game um, that's, that's providing real course experiences in a mobile environment. Um, and, and ultimately, it is a for-profit venture, but uh, for me, it's an exciting sort of thing. It's kind of my night job, so to speak. I've got a team uh, of developers in Orlando that we're working with for developing it uh, called Hype Games. And then the publisher uh, is based in the EU called Miniclip. And so it's really a tri-party relationship of, uh, you know, building. And we launched the game a few months ago uh, back in the summer. And uh, we're we're really pleased with the outcome. Uh, So I'm hoping, you know, some friends will download it and uh, hoping that you know, maybe we can provide uh an immersive experience for other brands and other golf industry
0: incumbents. Well, I really appreciate it. I we covered a lot of ground here as I, I am want to do. So thank you for definitely handling the questions. I, I I tossed your way in for revealing, you know, just tons of good info about your your business, your your board experience and your other ventures as well. So thank you for your time. Thank you for you know, contributing and having a conversation with the, the broader Rice Business alumni. Um, I've really enjoyed this time with you.
1: Well, well, David, it's been a pleasure knowing you just for the last few weeks. And, uh, you know, when I got the call, um, it, it's just such a reminder of how good the Rice MBA program is in building, you know, people like yourself that are just super energized and uh, want to give back to the school. I love the school and I think it's, you know, obviously it's the best entrepreneurial program in the country. And, um, you know, it's just a reminder when when you guys outreach me that uh, I'd love to get back to the school. And
0: so thank you, David. Thank you, Will. All right. And for folks listening, thank you for tuning in to I'll Have You Know. And remember, if you're not moving, you're killing grass. (laughs) Happy holidays, everyone. Thanks, Will. And take care, everyone. This has been I'll Have You Know. Thanks for listening. You can find links and more information about our guests, hosts, and announcements on our website, business.rice.edu. Please subscribe to this podcast wherever you find your favorite podcasts and leave us a comment while you're at it. Let us know what you think. I'll Have You Know is a production of Rice Business and is sponsored by the Rice Business Alumni Board. The hosts of I'll Have You Know are myself, Christine Dobbin, and David Drew Gleever.